computer. Whoa, that was official. <laughs> right? <laughs> All right. This is Tyler with Grassroots Living Soil Podcast coming at you here with episode eight. We got Jake, the owner and operator, head of operations, the guy who makes everything run, Jake at No-Till Kings. Um, Jake, thank you so much for coming on today, man. I really appreciate you. Absolutely. Glad to be here. Well, it's, it's great to have you, man. And uh, it's a long time coming. We've been uh, working together here, got this project going over a year ago, I believe, right? Yeah, it's been actually a year and a half now. So yeah, we started operating last uh, January, January 2020. So uh, yeah, so even before that probably is when we did the order for all of the uh, the four by four beds. Yep. And the special liner project, you guys were um, actually our our second customer ever to order the liners to fit in the next gen beds. Um, awesome. first customer was um, uh, 710 Labs. Oh, wow. I just got back from their facility in, in Oakland a few days ago, and they're getting ready to expand and uh, do a lot more of the nice. next gen beds and the liners and everything like that. So um, it's it's kind of a, a new pathway for cultivators and allowing you guys to be a little bit more successful. So, um, you know, that, that's awesome to see that you guys are putting out fire that way. But um, I brought you on here today to so you can give a, give us a little um, rundown of, of, of how it works for you guys in no-till Kings. Um, I'm also going to ask how you guys get that amazing marketing too. Cause I love your shirts and your hats and everything. Too. Oh yeah. Appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, we pretty much do it all ourselves. We don't, uh, we don't really like put anything towards marketing besides just like making, you know, some of these shirts and stuff. We don't, we don't advertise anywhere currently. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's been a long road to just get to this point and we're, we're just getting started. It feels like um but yeah i mean just we like we started so we for background for people that don't know about our company is uh we started operating last january our our company's called no-till kings and we farm in 100 living soil uh we're an indoor cannabis farm we're a licensed cultivation facility here in long beach and uh yeah it's been it's been a long road i mean right when we started in january uh that's when we got our license to start operating but it took two years before that of just planning and permits, dealing with the city of Long Beach and dealing with the state of California to get our state license and then time that right with getting our city license and everything. So it's the whole logistics of getting licensed initially is just a whole challenge of timing and doing everything at the right, uh, the right time and getting all your stuff submitted. Um, but once we got that going, I mean, we started operating, it was a really slow start and we started to pheno hunt some strains um, and then we finally got our first product on the shelf last October, and we've currently been running those same two strains since, and we'll have two more strains dropping, uh, this September. So we should have four, at least four strains on the shelf in September. Awesome. And you guys are going to obviously try to keep those as just consistent strains moving forward for now. Yeah. Until, until we start hunting more stuff, um, we're going to constantly keep hunting new stuff and looking for new phenos. Um, but it just, it all, it just takes so much time. I mean, it can take, it can take a year to get a strain from seed into actual production to go through pheno hunting moms, you know, take enough moms, take enough clones. So yeah, it's just the timing of everything. It, it really takes a long time just to get a strain in production when you're not just buying clones from like a nursery, um, which we also do sometimes. So there's no hate on that or anything, but, uh, yeah, it's just the, uh, 
the amount of time it takes to get flavors on the shelf is something that a lot of people don't, don't really have like a true understanding for. Yeah, that pathway seems pretty long, you know, compared to a normal farmer who's going to crack a seed, you know, get a mom going and and get some clones and off of that mom and then move forward. And then there's a timing of like doing that correct and and being able to put all those babies out during, you know, the outdoor season or however that may be. So, um, you know, obviously a lot more complicated. Um, I had a a question. What um, what products are you guys putting out right now on the market? obviously smoking uh, flowers. Yeah. Yeah. Right now. So we have our cookies and cream number two and uh, mimosa. That's our jarred up flower, both super heat. Uh, we get great feedback on both of them. Uh, the mimosa has got just a phenomenal, like just really kind of full orange candy flavor. Hmm. Um, and that co- the cookies is a real nice, uh, it's a really nice uh, fino of our cookies and cream uh, bred by exotic genetics and the mimosa is bred by symbiotic genetics. Um, so those are the current products that we have branded under our, like our no-till things brand. And then we also have a wax collab with cold fire extracts. Um, so last year we ran uh, some live resin mimosa and some, uh, some OG and those came out fire. And then right now we have a cured resin collab of our mimosa and cookies and cream. Uh, but those aren't out yet. Those should be out in the next like month or two. Mm-hmm. So mainly that mainly our jarred up flower. And then uh, we have the wax collabs. Uh, but soon we will be coming out with new packaging for our boxes. And then we're also going to have a one gram package coming out uh, for anyone that wants to try the flower that may not want to like try a whole eighth. Um, and then we're also going to be coming out with a joint as soon as we can. It's just, we're testing them right now. It just takes a, it's a, it takes a lot of effort to properly make joints at, at a large scale. Yeah. And have them taste great all the yeah, way through. Taste great. Smoke great. No sideburn. They're not like flimsily packed or anything. So all that has to get thought out and just tested. I imagine you're leaning on that cookies a little bit for that because I absolutely love the taste and flavor of a cookies joint just just all the way through. You know, it's fine. Yeah, the, the cookies are super fire, and both of them, like all the strains that we've been that we've been running and testing, like everything has just phenomenal flavor uh, all the way down when you smoke a joint. And so I, I think both of them would do really well. The mimosa and the cookies in two separate single gram joints. Um, just cause we get, we get a lot of good feedback on mimosa as well. People, it's just so unique. There's not a, we definitely have a special pheno of mimosa. That's so awesome. we're very hyped on it. <laughs> How's that insane mom's room, uh, mother's room going that you got there? Pretty good. Yeah, it's I, yeah. solid. Uh, we're trying to, uh, we're trying to dial in just how long we can run moms and then the space that we have to cycle them. And that's the biggest challenge is having a big enough mother room to have enough moms of different strains so that you can be running different phenos. Um, because that's what you're really limited is, is how much like veg and mom space do you have to keep all these different genetics going? Um, and when you and that's why it's ability, you're like, Oh, we would need all this, this flowering space, all this flowering space. So yeah, I can see how that works out. Yeah. Uh, the, the mom space definitely has to be like really thought out. We, we, we could probably use a larger mom area. Um, and maybe down the road, we'll have to look into that. Uh, but, uh, it's, it's just the challenge of actually keeping those moms around in a time, like in a small and big enough space to where you have time to pheno hunt them to know if you're going to keep them in production or not. Uh, because we'll have to, like, if we're going to truly pheno hunt, let's say one, one strain that has 10 different seeds, for example, we have to pop all those seeds, grow them up, figure out if they're males or females, and then keep the females for now. 
and uh, then take clones of them. So we keep the genetics in veg and then flower out the clones, test them, make sure that they're not herms, they're not just like schwap. And then, then once we know that they're actually gonna be good, then we can, if we have enough space, then we can already have a mom big enough to take a hundred or 200 cuts off of it. But if we don't have the space, then we have a bunch of small plants that we then have to decide what to mom out and then grow large to take cuts. So that's why it can take six months to a year to get a strain from seed, then through pheno hunt, through large enough mom to take clones and then into production to where you can yield enough to actually put it out in a product. So what is, uh, besides those two strains you mentioned, what would be one that you're running through all that testing that would be closest to hitting the market for you guys? Um, we, so through right now, what we've just ran through all of that testing from seed was Jack the Ripper. And that was, a that would, and I think we are going to end up running it. It's pretty fire. Um, and it was bred by TGA and sub cool. So, you know, rest in peace to him. Um, and so that'll be kind of cool just to keep that, that Jack the Ripper lineage going. Um, so that one we, we ran from, see, that's the most recent one, mimosa and cookies and cream that all that happened last year. Um, and then the OG that we're running and the gelato that we're also running right now, we got those as clones from a local nursery clone guy, uh, here in Long Beach. And so those, we still tested them. We still wanted to feed We still wanted to test the phenos of them and see how they ran in our soil. So we, we had moms, we flowered out like a few plants of each. Um, and now we have like half a room of each of them going. So that's, what's going to come out in September. Great. And then the Jack, we're still going to test another round of. We're going to do a, a slightly larger test on the next round, just like one bed um, to really see if it's something that we're going to, that we're going to put out. Awesome. Awesome. Um, from the starting point till now, is there anything major that you would change about your facility or the design? Um, I would have, yeah, there's a few things for sure. Um, Disco ball, strobe lights. Yeah. Right. No. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, like once you start it, it's, it's challenging to when, when you haven't built a facility of this scale before, and we're doing living soil, like one of the first groups to do it at this scale, definitely. I mean, there's other groups doing it, no doubt about it, like 710 labs and, and other groups that are farming in living soil. Um, but on this scale, like once you do it and you realize your humidities and your temperatures and the, the space that you have on any side of a table, you realize that, hey, maybe we should have put more space at uh, one area than another. Um, so there's definitely things like that. Um, thankfully, so we've only built out two of our flower rooms. So we have three more to, to like build out the inside of with the tables and the lights. So the table footprint is pretty much going to be the same, but maybe we're going to change like the size of the dehumidifiers that we put in or uh, the fan placement. Um, and just the floors, I'm going to straight up strip and repaint the floors before we actually uh, build the next or b before we start operating in the next rooms, just because the the paint, like I did the paint too, and I'm, I'm not a professional epoxy layer, but uh, it just is a little too thin. So, you know, we're going to, we're going to make it, we're going to put a thicker layer of epoxy on. Um, just little things like that, that you kind of notice as like, as you start operating and you're, you're beating up the facility and using all the equipment you realize what gets used all the time and what, uh, and what areas are like weak points. Um, but most everything's been pretty solid. I mean, I, I physically built the facility. And so, you know, we put in a lot of detail and effort into to doing things the right way. 
Um, so most of the design is solid. There's just, just like little things, you know, just like maybe certain rooms should be wider. We should have more space, like more storage, um, or just like the break room, like more area for, for employees to hang out, stuff like that. Um, but we, cause like, we didn't think about, you know, COVID when all this stuff started. So, yeah. but, uh, but yeah, just kind of like little, just little things that, that you realize where, where you may want larger areas or maybe more ac tonnage or you know just things like that but for the most part it's been pretty solid but i think anybody that has built a facility and is now running it unless they've had five facilities before that i think anyone would say that yeah we would do something a little differently great great so what's your what's your passion or what 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 fuels your passion for cannabis it's a good one um I don't know. I mean, I've been, uh, I've just, I've been involved with the plant for a long time since I was 17. And so I just like, I, I don't know. I just have a love for cannabis. I, I really don't drink much. I'll taste beers to just try them for the flavor, but I truly love cannabis and uh, like everything about it, smoking it, you know, the smell, the different cultivars, just the, the difficulty and the nature it is to produce. Like it, it's not, it's not an easy thing to be an indoor cannabis farmer or outdoor. I mean, every single type of farming has its challenges. Um, but to grow consistently quality lab testing flour in living soil uh, on, on a commercial scale is definitely like a difficult thing to do. Um, and so I do like the, the difficult nature of it that it's just not, it's not something that a lot, so like, obviously a lot of people, you know, think that they can do it and it's very tough and I, I would love everyone to try. So they understand how tough it is to actually grow the plant from start and then harvest it and dry it and trim it and have a, a quality smokable flower, because it's very easy for the plant to look phenomenal when you're growing it. And then you just ruin it when you chop it, you know, um, it's happened to the best of us when we're learning. Yeah. Um, and so that's part of, you know, what drives me and just, and just being, uh, I don't know, we're, we're living in a crazy time of, of the cannabis industry of it transferring from the prop 215 era into prop 64 legalization and just how much of it's just been so hectic on the licensing aspect and, and how many farmers have been left behind. They haven't been able to get licensed. Um, and so I just care a lot about, about the actual plant. I mean, so many, so many like prize genetics have been lost in raids and all that. So it's like, it's just, it, we're living in a crazy time for cannabis and to, to actually see it from all aspects of what it has been and where it's going and dealing with the licensing agencies and how little they actually understand about the plant. Um, that part makes me want to try to, you know, be more involved and, and help change legislation and stuff but it's just i mean it's so big we're in california there's so many operators now um so it's and the state doesn't even really understand all the intricacies of the legal market and the illegal market they're still doing raids obviously but it's just like you know they they hit one and ten pop up so it's like i don't know yeah crazy times but, uh, there man you know yeah cr- yeah exactly you're moving forward on your positive path. And, and I think anybody who's, you know, tried to go this route and wasn't able to go this route is, is obviously very thankful that there's people like you that have been able to, you know, blaze the trails and, and, you know, you're a pioneer, man, with everything that you're doing and the route that you're taking and, and the ability to, you know, have people behind you backing you 
to trust you to say, Hey, we give you faith in being able to produce this product on, on your scale. I think it's, it's huge, man. Um, 100%. It really is. 100%. Then, then getting past the state, like lower yeah. man, and the most it's a, state in the nation to deal with. Oh, absolutely. I mean, California is extremely tough. And the thing is, is that it's, it's one of those things that like, if you are persistent and you have the resources to, to get through the hurdles of filling out all this paperwork, or you're just willing to, like, I did it all myself. You're just willing to do all the paperwork yourself uh, and then do corrections. And like, I mean, it literally half the time, it feels like a high school paper. You're like submitting it. They're like, Oh, you didn't dot your eye here and put a comma there. Like that's how nitpicky sometimes the city is. Um, and like there, there was one instance at on the city where we had to, we had to create this plan and, they, they asked us to lay out three separate issues in the plan that we were doing. And I had combined my, my second two issues into one paragraph. And they literally emailed me back saying they have to be three separate lined statements. And so I just, I just separated them out. And then they were like, oh, this looks good. Thanks. Um, so it's like, I mean, it's things like that. Like we're like something that has absolutely nothing to do with business or farming or anything are like, there's so many of those hurdles that we have to jump through. Um, and just like, I mean, the Department of Fish and Wildlife, like we're not outdoor, we're fully indoor, we're on a, a community sewer system, but we have to, we have to prove and show that we're not like pulling water from a river or dumping things into rivers, um, just everything. And then, I mean, the CEQA, the California Environmental Quality Control, uh, the Quality Act, like yeah. the, there's all these different things that hinder your license type, whether you're a provisional or an annual license. Um, and so there's just so many different different things with the state that we have to deal with and then on the city level and they're all like kind of separate there's nothing really not one group is like working together that's crazy man that kind of gives me a headache just just seeing the view on the outside like man so um getting back to the plants and back to the growing here man and the the question i've been waiting to ask um what are those three items throughout the day um, that you just can't live without that you have to grow? And another way that I want to phrase this question too, that might throw you for a little loop is let's say one of your, one of your buddies, um, he's like, oh my God, you know, everything's going to crap. I need help. Like, is there any way you'd be willing to come in here and just, just lay it out for me and tell me what I'm doing wrong. And, and let's fix this situation. Like, what are you throwing in your tool bag to run out to his place to fix it or to, to evaluate it hmm. or, you know, in, you know, those three items that are, that are imperative for your growing needs. Gotcha. That's a good one. There's a, I mean, there's so many items we could choose from, you know, um, it's tough. I would say, I would say that if I had to go to like another place to just help them figure out what's going on, I would probably want to bring some type of meter. I would bring like, I would bring one of our APRA, you know, pH and uh, TDS meters uh, that does it all um, with distilled water that's combined in that item, uh, <laughs> um, you know, to rinse the probe. Uh, but so like th those are helpful. I mean, it just, I guess it depends on what we're really trying to do. So I'll bring in all an APRA, everything. I got my soil pH. I got every, you know, all of that in one. Um, so we would, we would do that to maybe test some of the, maybe test the soil, maybe just test their, their feeds, whatever they're doing. Um, that those are important for sure. Um, 
I mean, other things that we use, like here, I'll, so I'll come up with a good three items I would maybe take somewhere else and then other items that we use on like the everyday here. Perfect. Um, so yeah, if I was going somewhere, so I, I would bring an aperometer. Um, that I think would be more important than like a light meter in the beginning, because if their plants are going to shit, it's probably not the lights. It's probably something else going on uh, with the environment. The the maybe if their temperatures, humidities could be the the it could be the water. Who knows? Um, but I'd probably bring that. You know, I'd bring uh, I'd probably bring some some recipes. Maybe some of our like maybe some of Organics Alive solutions just to test and see what they're using, so that we could mix up a feed. I would try to do maybe what like, you know, Crescent Soil Services does and try to just help help come up with some stuff. Um, or I'd refer them out to them. I mean, those guys are awesome. You know, we've been working with them. Um, so there's that, you know, the soil you could check out. And then maybe also, so, so, so that the second item would be like some of our Organics Alive products so that we could test out making some like Organics Alive nutrient feeds uh, to, see, to see if that maybe helps uh, in the initial and then also they could use those for a foliar application. Um, and then also, I mean, it's just, uh, I don't know, maybe uh, I'd bring like, maybe I'd bring a book with like Jorge Cervantes, like the cannabis encyclopedia so that we could really reference like all the different leaf photos of, of all the problems of, of like elemental deficiencies. Um, we, we definitely reference books a lot because you can just go down a wormhole on blogs. Like now, obviously starting from this time going forward, we're, we as a group and everyone else in the community is going to be building online catalogs of what to do, what not to do. But what we've had in the past are really just like a lot of blogs of like, oh, I tried bro this in my closet. Yeah, it's a ton of bro, bro science. science. Exactly. It's all bro science. And so now we are finally actually doing real lab tests and real like real science work with, you know, crest of soil um, and doing biological analysis and, and elemental analysis uh, through like Wallace Labs and Logan Labs on our water and our soil. Um, and so now we're going to be able to build a lot more information. But we reference a lot of books. We reference our cannabis encyclopedia. We have other organic living soil books um not comments on facebook and instagram yeah exactly not quite yeah because like <laughs> we don't need a the monday morning keyboard quarterback you know yeah <laughs> that's great to hear i love to hear that you're going back to science and referencing your science and your data because you know if you have an issue five years from now you're going to go back and you're going to look at this data and i'll get to look at this and then look at your logs and look at what you're doing and be like well clearly this didn't happen at that point so that's right. why we're in this issue and then how we're going to fix it. We've already got a game plan of how to fix it at that point. probably. Right. And now we're, we're trying to do a soil analysis. One other thing I'd probably want to bring is like a soil sample kit. So we would pull soil cores out and send them out for analysis. Cause that's the only true way you can know what to top dress with is if you're actually sending out for the elemental content and you're figuring out your, all your different, uh, you know, minerals. Yep. Um, that's the true way to really know what to amend it with. Um, so, and then obviously foliar spraying what's not available to the plant at that. Correct. Point. Yep. Yep. And then, and I know you guys have some good products to work with on that. Uh, we've been using the organics alive to mix in with, with some other uh, soil symbiotic products like the Provita, um, stuff like that. And that, that definitely helps. Um, they're all very complementary to each other. You know, their organics alive brand is just, and they're just, so plant available with all of their products right. and it's so soluble and, and, you know, you're feeding plants to plants, you yep. know, that's it. And, and like you were going through the game plan on how you're going to go fix your buddy's thing and, you know, 
breaking down the basic elements of the soil and breaking down their feed and then giving some, some plant available nutrients, some organic saliva. It's like, man, if things aren't looking better in a day or two, you probably should just start over. I mean, is that, that's yeah, literally <laughs> sometimes that's what you got to do. I mean, and that's where the soil analysis can come in where they can really see what is in the soil and if it is going to be recoverable or not. Um, I just thought of a question. Um, and I could see how the time, the mind, the thinking thought process on this could change once you get into your facility. So one thing that made me a great farmer, I believe throughout the last few years is the ability to say, look at a plant and say, you know what, you're not cutting it, buddy. You know, you're out of here and getting rid of it or, you know, and whether, whether you got to kill it, or are you going to give it to a friend that's going to put some love to it and stuff like that, however that happens. So like, how has that changed for you? Have you been saving more plants or, or getting rid of more plants that aren't cutting it? Um, yeah. So in terms of like pheno hunting, I mean, that's where we really need to be critical. Once we have an established pheno, uh, either the clones are healthy. I mean, if they're, if they're not healthy, they just get chucked, you know? Um, so there's no like emotional attachment to like an unhealthy clone, but in terms of, uh, in terms of having, when we're pheno hunting, I mean, it, it can be, like it, it can be easy to become emotionally attached to a strain name um, and you want it to, to be doing good, you know what I mean? But for example, the Jack the Ripper that we just ran, we ran two phenos of it and one of them was clearly superior than the other. So we, we already called the mom, like we're not even thinking about running it again. And sometimes that's just what you have to do when it comes to aggressively pheno hunting in a limited size space um there's going to be other stuff to hunt and so sometimes you just got to let them go and you know if, if it's not cutting it then it'll just get it'll get chopped awesome awesome well that's what it's about man um now back to the beds and that that whole situation that we did um is is that design going to continue the same you know the separations in in the soil and the liners and right everything? I think on the next room, we're going to actually run a 24 foot long liner. Uh, it's going to be one solid liner in the bed, um, which we probably should have done initially, but you know, as we're learning and we're talking with Crescive and doing analysis, but having one solid uh, bed really helps with the fungal networks in the soil and the communication between all the different microorganisms that are in the soil. Um, and then you're less likely to have one bed be more saturated in a certain elemental content because of how the soil was mixed initially. Oh. Um, because you have such a greater body to work with. And, that, and that's the other thing um, is, is loading the soil into the beds has to be done correctly. Or you, you could have, like, if you're buying, you know, 20 or 40 yard bags, uh, like 40 single yard bags, that soil may not be all mixed the same in every single yard bag. And so there may be one bag that's higher in some, some element than another. Um, or some mineral, like maybe you've got more calcium or more magnesium in one than another. Um, and so when you have one solid bed, you can really mix the soil better and get a larger variety so that you basically have uh, the same type of soil in every row. Uh, and there, it's just much less likely that one, one area is going to be different than another because they're not separated so much. Nice, nice. So that's one thing we have kind of learned is that we probably would want to do one solid bed. Awesome. Awesome. Are you guys leaving your root balls in there or are you guys pulling your root balls out? Yeah. So when we transplant, um, most of the stuff stays in there. We'll basically get, like pull the cube out. Um, Good. Yeah. The cube, cube so, like the compost. So 
yeah and so 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 we'll pull the cubes out and then all the roots pretty much stay uh especially it depends on what like what strains are in there because some when we run mimosa half a room and, and like cookies in half the room the mimosa gets chopped first uh so those roots have a little more time to decompose anyway and then so the cubes will generally just pop out and then we have to make a new hole for the for the new transplant and then that's pretty much what we'll do nice nice um what are you guys doing for irrigation so right now we're uh so it's a mix. We do a lot of hand watering. We hand water all of our feeds and all of our compost extracts. And then we also have these things called garden grids, which have 16 little grids in our four by four pots. And they basically water the pot out. And so sometimes we'll do a grid water uh, and then with just RO. And then uh, we're also gonna be trying to switch potentially to tap water soon. We're just doing testing on it to make sure that we don't have like too high sodium levels and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but with the irrigation, eventually, like we are, we do want to look into switching to blue mats. But I with blue mats, there there just come some other things of having the right uh, the right levels in the water, so that I, like I know RO can sometimes have an issue. So we're just we're doing some testing, but we might want to trans transition to blue mats in the future, uh, just for the drip irrigation aspect of them, and how they have the the moisture sensor to like integrated with the with the drip. Um, so we're probably going to be switching to that in the near future. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, how about lighting? Right now we're running a Gavita 1000 Watts at a 277 volt. Um, but that's all of our flower lighting. And then we've got mainly, uh, mainly metal halides in the bedroom, but very soon we're going to be testing out the Lux led, uh, the 645 watt led. And I think those are going to be the, be the way for us in the future. I think if we're, once we test one out, we'll know, but when we're ready to build out a, a third room, we're going to hopefully run it all led. Nice. Nice. Cool. Cool. Um, now, um, just to want to give you the floor for a little bit here. Is there anything that you want to speak about for as far as it goes is, you know, cultivation wise? Um, I don't know. I mean, uh, I mean, there's so many different things, you know, just in this industry, I guess, uh, I'm pretty well versed in like a lot of different aspects because I deal with the licensing, I deal with the grow, the cultivation, the dip, like we're not a licensed distributor, but we do all of our own sales to get our distribution fee lower. So uh, like the whole, the whole kind of chain of custody of where the product goes and how it has to get to the retail shop, it has to follow like a whole specific chain. Um, and so there's just a, I mean, there's so many different aspects to running a business like this. And we're still dealing with like the flack from, you know, illegal operators and, and we have no hate towards that. Like we don't, I feel like there's been such a stigma between all oh, these guys are legal. Like, you know, they're just, they sold out or something, you know what I mean? And it's so not that way. Like we're, I mean, we're just, a, we're no different than any other group. We just put the effort into, to go legal. And we had to stop growing for two, three years just to do all of our plans and permits and all that. And it's been such a tremendously difficult road to get here. Um, and I think a lot of people just see, you know, lar the larger cannabis companies that are operating and just burning money, like, like nothing. And, and we get grouped into that just cause we're legit, you know, but, uh, but like talks like this will really help kind of open people's eyes. I think that, Hey, you know, these guys are really just like, they're fighting to put out a clean product and it's, it's so hard. Um, and very few, like very few people are farming in living soil at the level that we're doing it and, and showing, talking about it and educating about it. Um, 
So yeah, it's one yeah. I mean, it's a kind of closed door compared to one thing, you know, opening it up on social media and Instagram and, and, you know, showing people the way, um, which is huge, you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's just, it's tough. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Being a cannabis farmer is very tough. And like right now for the time we're living in, this is probably one of the, one of the most regulated and toughest industries you could go into the legal cannabis industry. Um, in terms of just the amount of taxes we have to pay the, the licensing and regulation hoops that we have to jump through, uh, and then let alone trying to like generate a profit on the on with all the taxes and the different everyone that's taken their like hand out of the pot of the distros the the shops the excise tax everything um it's pretty crazy yeah definitely do you guys um obviously you got a few more rooms to build out um do you guys have plans of of further expansion already not for another facility or anything yet. Um, we really need to just dial in this place and just prove that, Hey, you know, we're, we're going to do like, we're doing this, we're going to be here. And, uh, just with getting new strains going. So yeah, we don't have any plans for expansion yet. It, I mean, it's just tough, like to do living soil. It's tough to do living soil until we really dial in all of our analysis, which can take a couple of years to see how the soil changes. Um, it's just, it's tough to, it's just a tough model to, to scale because we don't, we're not running, you know, big computer systems that are feeding in off of net of and uh, off of the dosatrons and all that. Um, and so we're not, so like, we're not, we're, we're, we don't have like big barrels pulling through a dosatron at a specific rate for every week. Um, and so it's that de- like, we're definitely scalable, but it's just, we, can you keep that quality? and scale at the same time and we will ultimately we'll have to find that out you know we'll have to see and uh who knows i mean it's just hard to say no one knows what the future holds but like we may do, we may be just kind of a smaller craft cannabis company that maybe can venture out into doing other collabs or uh you know just who, who knows really it's just really hard to say sponsorships that's what I, I suggest. Yeah, right. Right, right. Um, I want to see you guys' logo on the half pipe of X Games. Hell yeah, that would be sick. One day if we can, uh, I mean, Weed Maps is already kind of involved in that, but they skirt that gray market of technology company who takes all the weed cash and, you know, that's a whole nother story. But uh, <laughs> um, And how they've been operating for the last like 10 years, basically. But, um, but yeah, you know, uh, who knows? It's really tough to say what the future holds for us. We just really want to keep on our grind and keep putting out quality products and expand our menu. Um, we've gotten, I mean, we, we've gotten excellent feedback on all our flowers so far. So we just want to keep putting out quality. And I tell all my employees this all the time, like we have to work so hard, so incredibly hard just to become established as a cannabis brand. And then we have to work even harder to stay established and to keep the quality up and not fall off. And so it truly takes an immense level of effort to just keep the quality going uh, at a commercial level. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. Um, So how many employees do you guys have there in that facility currently? Currently we have uh, six and it's a mix between kind of part-time and closer to full-time. Like some, it's basically a challenge right now. There's like when we're harvesting, there's weeks where we're like, we're working more than full-time and then maybe there'll be like one to two weeks in between a room, the rooms coming down where 
we'll be packaging or we'll be there maybe be a little bit less work but uh we have six people that work for us currently nice. and uh, at any given time there'll be like probably between three and six people uh working and inclu- including myself so seven um great so yeah it's yeah i mean it's crazy it's a it's a full i mean we're a legit operation it takes it's we're here every day seven days a week 365 days a year home away from home um it's true that's the truth now i know before you've spoke on um your drying and curing process which yeah I truly believe is like the make it or break it for, for good cannabis brands. Um, I agree. So what is kind of the, 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 the spectrum of has to happen when drying and curing? Yeah. So, um, I mean, the main thing is we want to get the plants into the dry room in a timely manner. Uh, and so the biggest thing, I mean, the, the most important thing, the number one most important thing is that your, your humidity and temperatures are, are controlled and correlated. And so the best option that you could dry at would be around 60 degrees at 60% humidity. So our room will fluctuate between maybe 60 and 62 and a half, 63 degrees at 58 to 60% humidity. Um, and we'll dry in there for roughly 10 days. It's going to be between like 10 and 11 days usually. And then, and then we can store our flower in our bins for even up to a week sometimes on the stem. And it's still a super fire. Um, it's not too dry, but definitely the the colder temperatures at that fifty eight to sixty percent humidity really help slow the drying process down and ensure that you cannot have mold because you're at a cold enough temperature. Yeah. Um, so that's extremely important. If you don't have that option or luxury to to have cold temperatures, like if you're growing in a tent, let's say or you're growing in your house and you want to dry in your garage or something, it's all doable. You can do it. If you can at least monitor the humidity and know that it's not too high, your temperatures can be higher. You could be at 70 degrees and maybe drop the humidity to 50%. Um, So as long as you're correlating things properly, you can dry at different temperatures, but for the best terpene retention and the quality and the flavor for a commercial scale, there all of us are going to be drying at colder temperatures at like a 60% humidity. Um, but it's, it's doable at, at a different rate for anyone that is growing at home. Um, cause that is the majority of people, you know, definitely. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, drying and like I said earlier, so you can grow an amazing plant. It can look just beautiful. Like you, you smell the trichomes and they're just like awesome. And it can look phenomenal on the plant. And then if you chop it and you don't, know really what to do when you're drying and it dries too quickly or it just gets too humid and it and it takes too long to dry all of that can affect how it's going to come out it can be real like hay smelling if there's too much chlorophyll or the buds get really squishy because they just didn't have enough there wasn't enough moisture taken out at the right time um and for anyone that that does happen to i encourage you do not get discouraged by that uh, it's, I mean, if it's your first run, even second run, third run, it, it can take time to kind of figure this stuff out, but the colder temps and the, the right humidity really will be helpful. Definitely. Looks you like, still there? Uh, your video is uh, off. I'm still there, but my, let me switch here to. Grab a. Okay, there we go. Yeah. Um, 
It's like my nice fancy the camera. Video change a little bit. Work. Yeah, right. All good. Um, but yeah, so basically, I mean, like I definitely would remind people to not not get discouraged if your flower doesn't come out how you would hope that it would. Uh, if it's your first round drying or second, third round drying, um, it, it can take time. And that's the most drying, like cut, harvesting the plant and drying it is one of the most critical things. And it's at, it's the most critical point where things can go catastrophically wrong. Um, Cause you can, the room can look phenomenal or your outdoor plant can look phenomenal up until you harvest and then you chop it. And it just, it just doesn't quite dry right. And the buds are airy and not filled and it just smells like nothing. And um, it's, it's a challenge, you know? So if that does happen to anybody listening, don't get discouraged, just, you know, keep trying. Farming is a process uh and every group big and small has their failures so definitely it's it's the most thing too is that i've learned over the years is i've been growing cannabis for eight years and i don't think i've really been good at it for like until like the last three or four years honestly it's just been a it was it's kind of a hobby and then it's now it's changed to something that's a little bit more serious and i think a lot of people for sure a different path through that that process um one sure i had in a commercial situation are you guys breaking down like when you break down the plant to dry it are you breaking down just cutting off you know um are you doing a whole plant are you sectioning it out how does that work we we hang the whole plant yeah Yeah. so our plants are not enormous so we're growing uh uh we're growing like our plants are smaller you know even even the biggest ones are not that big like the biggest ones are, well, this room right now is going to have the largest plant so far, and they're probably going to be like maybe five, six feet tall, which is going to be a little more of a challenge to dry, uh, but those will still get hung um, as the whole plant. Nice, nice. That's exciting. Um, what is your your veg time, and how long does it take to veg before you can flip from the point that, you know, you're putting that that clone, or, well, I should ask, are you putting a clone, are you putting, like, a four-by-four, four, um, a one-gallon pot, like, how big are they going in? Yeah, so we use basically quarter-gallon pots, there, there may, might even be a less than a quarter-gallon pot, but, so we'll take, uh, so what we do is we'll, we'll take our cuts, we'll root our clones, right, in a peat moss cube, and then we will put our cubes into like a small quarter gallon pot. Like it's pretty, pretty small. Um, and then that will stay in our veg room for about one and a half to two weeks or so. Um, like between 10 and 15 days, usually that'll stay in our bedroom under some T5s. And then we will take those quarter gallon pots and then transplant those into the flower room. And then we will continue vegging in the flower room for about another 10 to 14 days so that these plants can really get their root structure established in the flower room and they're used to the environment and then we'll flip. And so basically what we'll do is I've wired our lights to be run on, on two rows are together and then two rows are, are separate. So there's, there's four rows in the flower room, two, two rows of lights are timed together and the other two are timed together. Um, so there's, just, there's two light lines. And so what we're able to do is we'll run half the lights 12 hours a day. So it's, there's 24 hour light of half the room getting lit so that's how we'll veg for two weeks. Um, oh, wow. In the flower room. Yeah. And saving a lot of electricity. Yeah, saves electricity. And you can just as easily veg under HPS lights. If anyone has that question there, it's, uh, it's no problem vegging under an HPS light. And there's actually been studies done to show that HPS lights can actually potentially provide more usable light than a metal halide. Um, a couple of university of, universities have done studies just for greenhouse food production. Cause like these lights are traditionally used in greenhouse fruit, uh, food production. And so 
like i mean it's it's all it's all it's all you know give and take like a lot of people use mixed spectrum in the bedroom um we have like mainly metal halides we got one hps in there and then if you're using leds that's already a full mixed spectrum anyway so um as long as like the what we've kind of really noticed is as long as the environment and the health of the soil and the plant is there and the plants are healthy the lights are really not gonna i mean they're not gonna make a huge huge difference as long as everything else is is in play um we haven't tested leds yet so maybe we'll find out whoa leds just like smack way harder you know but uh but we haven't tested them yet so it's really hard to say great great um i hope at some point i can uh, buy a couple of your guys' shirts and hats man i love that stuff oh hell yeah yeah we'll, we'll get some shirts set up to you we uh the hats we don't even have any uh we don't have any right now but um yeah as soon as we like i definitely want to make more hats the hats are my favorite for sure nice but yeah the shirts they're dope they come in uh we got the seedless bags oh wow yeah so they're pretty sick okay we did a, a full seedless collab um so it came out pretty dope nice yeah i've been working with seedless down in san diego for a while and uh they're a pretty dope brand they're just like they've been in the cannabis industry for a while um so yeah they're they're pretty dope great great um how about foliar spraying Can you talk about that a little bit and what's like your favorite yeah. foliar spray yeah so for for a nutrient foliar we uh we have a mixture that we uh that we have made up with pressive soil and uh it's got some organics alive uh nutrients in it at a really small dilution and a one gallon and then it's got some provita in there um which is from soil symbiotics and then so that'll get mixed up uh and then the plants really like that spray um, in terms of just, the, it just helps boost the nutrient content in the leaves. Um, so that one's pretty solid. And then, uh, we haven't done one in a while, but sometimes we'll do like, uh, the organic aloe powder, uh, mixed with, um, a couple other, uh, a couple other items. Um, we haven't done that one in a while though, but some, sometimes the aloe powder spray is good. Um, we haven't used neem in a while. We're not really going to be using neem, uh, which we haven't used it in like over maybe almost like six months to a year um yeah because just neem as we've learned neem can be antagonistic to the biology in the soil yeah um and so we also don't brew compost teas anymore we do compost extracts because it, there's just so high of a chance for the tea to go anaerobic um and then, and so the compost extract, extract that we're putting in, we're using extremely biologically diverse compost. And so there's nematodes, there's a uh, fungal networks in the compost. Um, and so those get, those get watered in. Uh, we try to do it on at least a weekly or twice a week basis. And I really think um, people need to heed that information and understand like how much easier life is when you just take a couple handfuls of compost, you know, stick it in a bucket of water, shake it up a little bit, and then throw it onto the plants, you know, and I, I think once you realize, you know, like, hey, these microbes are made to colonize soil. You're not made right. to colonize a brew container. And what makes you think that right, we're right. Just, and we built this brewer that's going to just kill it. You know, it's like, for me, it just made things so much simpler because it's like, you've got life. Like, let's just get the life into the soil, like separate right. so many things that could cause issues and just put it in the soil as fast as possible. So exactly. And, and we see it because we, we literally hand water in the compost extract in a five gallon bucket by hand on one on each side of the bed. And so that's the best way to see it go in because if you're pumping it through a pump in a hose, then you're, you're like, for one, 
in a five gallon bucket, it's way easier to pull from the right area in the bucket because the nematodes and the beneficial bacteria will sink to the bottom very quickly. Um, like within 10 seconds of just yeah. being in the water. And so we are constantly stirring, pulling from the bottom. And so we also like, we're not pumping compost through our, through our hose line or anything. We're only doing the, the organics alive feed through that currently. Eventually we may pump the compost, but I just feel like we, we really see it soak into the soil so much better just by hand pouring it in with a cup. Um, and, and we're at a small enough scale where we can do that. Um, so that's, that's the challenge right now is just figuring out what we want to run through like a hose line and whatnot, because everything just has to get clean too. You know, we're not, we're not running like a cleanse solution that a hydroponic farm would use that they can just feed through all the irrigation lines, kill any bacteria and then run through the grow dam and for the plants, you know? Um, so like we cannot really do that. Uh, so we really have to just focus on keeping our lines clean or just running one thing through it. Yeah. And that's where, uh, yeah. And that's podcast, just where, um, there's a couple of things that I'll, I'll t- I want to talk to you about. I've seen some few other people that are doing and, um, so yeah, there's a couple of things that I'll, I'll talk to you about that may not be on the table for you guys, or, you know, maybe mm-hmm. it's that, um, but that's, that's cool, man. That's, that's great to see. We're putting the microbes directly in the soil. We're trying to eliminate yeah. equipment and also like, you don't have to clean as much. Like we, exactly. You don't have to clean as much. And, uh, right. Yeah, exactly. Bucket mixer and, uh, and the five gallon. And then, and uh, we really see the soil soak in the compost. Um, it's like, you can visually see it when you're watering the soil that like the soil is just, it's, it's hard, it's hard to imagine when I'm describing it, but the soil really just takes it in. Um, you just, it it just absorbs really well. Well, and that's the, 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 from what I've heard, the science behind that is when you're brewing microbes in a, in a brewer and they've got this food, they, they, they're made to stick to soil particles. So they get a glue on the outside and they get really sticky and they want to stick to the first thing that they touch. So, yeah you know, if you brew elongated tea and you take that tea and you put it onto the soil, those are super sticky microbes. So whatever makes it past the pump, makes it past the hose, makes it past the end of the gardening wand and hits the top of the soil is going to stick into that top, you know, quarter inch and it's going to stay there. It's not going to be able to penetrate the soil deeply. So when Jake talks about, you know, watching that wash into the soil, it's because those microbes haven't gotten a chance to get sticky and change their, their, their metabolism to like, okay, we need to create life and, and do this. They're, they're going into the soil so they can do that. And you're seeing that just wash into the soil. So I challenge people to, to do it and you'll see what he's talking about. And, and, um, it's just a game changer, man. It's for sure. A game changer. I hate to hate to knock on any of those brewing companies, but I mean, I'd rather use a brewer for keeping, you know, my nutrient mix suspended in water. Yeah. That, or even, uh, yeah. Or if you're just, let's say you're going to run tap water and you're going to add in some powdered fulvic acid or something and you want to keep it pumping, um, just to not, not let anything get stacking on the, on the sides and get like solid buildup. Yeah. Um, you still have to get in there and clean that thing. Oh yeah. You know, you know, scrub that down and flush it. And yeah, yeah. That's why we haven't gone that route yet. (laughs) Yeah. Then there's other people that are like, yeah, then when you scrub it, you're creating micro scratches for the organisms to live in and you should only be using stainless steel container. So it's like, okay, you know what? Let's not brew. Let's just extract, get it right in the soil. So, 
Yep, uh, exactly. Hope people learn from this and, and don't take us as we're bashing anything. Cause obviously there's people that are out there that kill it with brewing teas. And I think it comes down hundred percent. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. And you know, you've got, you know, the fact that alive microbes are or in better yet dead microbes, um, you know, are very plant available for plants and you will see an extreme response when a, and a microbe is absorbed by a plant because they get to absorb the minerals that are in that microbe. So, um, you know, let's just make this process as effective as possible. So definitely. Is there definitely. anything else like that, that you've, you've kind of changed recently from the beginning to the end? Um, I mean, besides that, and then also running the organics live, we were kind of put on those by Cressive um, and Scott and, you know, all thanks to them. They're, they're really awesome. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the organics alive is definitely solid. I think they're, they're just a game changer in being able to feed, uh, something to living soil and thinking about it in a different way than we have in the past. Yeah. Um, because the, the, the tea brewing method that we're talking about here is really a traditional way of thinking of organic farming and a lot of big outdoor organic farms are still doing that and, and still crushing it with it. You know what I mean? Um, and so it's just, it, there's just kind of a new method of how we're going to be feeding the soil in a more like scientific manner of actually seeing the mineral content that we're putting in, um, versus brewing. But I mean, it's, it's just, you know, it's just, it's different, different methods that we're learning and evolving with. Um, and like you said, no hate on anyone that's doing it that way. We're, we've just been able to approach it differently now that it's going to work better for us. Um, yeah. And you've also eliminated yeah. what you view as future problems, you know, yep. which is probably a big, exactly. thing. somebody tells you this didn't work out on another farm because they were doing this. And you think about how does that apply to me and how can I eliminate, eliminate that as a future issue? Yep, exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's that, the kind of the feeding regiment that we've been doing. And then uh, I'd say that's probably one of the main things that we've been really trying to change up. And also the veg time um, of actually vegging in the flower room for at, at least like 10 days after we transplant. That makes a, a huge difference in just how the plants can adjust to the soil. Because otherwise they're going from veg to being flipped straight to flower and they haven't even gotten a chance to sink their roots into the soil. Yeah. So that's where, uh, yeah, that's where it can just be just a bit of a, a, of a learning curve and trying to dial in what the right veg time is. Um, and then balancing when to take clones to have them ready and vegged up. So when we harvest, we're ready to transplant, but they're not too tall to where we, we can still veg in the flower room. So just the, the, the logistics of clones and moms and keeping everything timed out and having enough moms that are large enough to take enough clones of the strains that you want to take, uh, that just becomes kind of like a logistical challenge, but it's all just a matter of setting up the timing on it and, uh, and having enough cuts to take basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now what about monitoring your, uh, soil moisture? Are you guys using any tools for that or just the little? Yeah. Um, we, we really use, yeah, the most basic like analog moisture meter. I'm probably going to get a blue lab one soon. That's like the digital one. Um, but we really just do like, uh, we do kind of a, a basic analog meter that works really well for us. Um, and like we change them out every now and then whenever they start to go bad. Um, but with, so we'll, basically we'll test for soil moisture. We'll test it what it is. And then 
depending on the schedule, what was done that day or the day before, we'll look, do we need to do a feed today? Do we need to, to do just a plain water? Do we need to do a compost extract? Um, and so the, the whole thing with what we're trying to do with living soil, and that's how we want to maybe transfer to the blue mats, is that we're not trying to let the soil really get dry. You know what I mean? Like you would if you're just farming in soil pots. Where cannabis likes to dry out for sure, but living soil doesn't want to really dry out heavily, you know? And so that's where the balance comes in of not letting it dry out too much, not having too much moisture in it to where the cannabis is going to start growing bad, but keeping that right level. And that's where I think eventually blue mats may help us a lot um, to where we can keep that right moisture content most all the time. And then when we need to do a feed, we'll do a feed. There'll be a, a slightly higher moisture content and the blue mats will shut off is the idea and the goal in the future. Um, but that's definitely like soil moisture content is definitely one of the most important things in a living soil system. And that's why a lot of groups advocate to use blue mats because of their soil sensors. Uh, but it just, it, it's just depends on the water you're using and can just take a little bit of effort to dial it in, but we're definitely going to be doing that soon. Great. Great. So I know, um, you don't have much to compare to because you only have one system set up and going there. Um, but one thing I'm interested in hearing about is water usage and water savings in, in these yeah. compared to other forms of cultivation. Have you been in any, in any conversations with other growers at your scale and about water usage? Yeah. Is that a plus or a minus? Is it looking better or worse? Um, yeah, I, um, I really have not talked with anyone about that when most people like most other groups that talk about they're more asking about like like we've already had some inspections like our metric inspection a lot of them are just like oh what happened on that what did they ask you about what did they do but we've never really talked to anybody about like oh how much water are you using um i don't know it's just it's never really come up but it's hard to say the nice thing about our system in living soil is that we have massive water retention in the soil the soil is holding a lot of water and so versus when you're farming in a rock wall or something, you know, you're going to be watering multiple times a day. Maybe they're using less water. I haven't really, I haven't farmed rock wall that way. So I don't know what they would be using at that scale. Um, but it seems from our, from what we've seen, like our water usage is not incredibly high by any means. Um, so I think it's pretty solid, but yeah, I definitely would. I definitely would like to compare notes with some of our other neighbor hydro farms. Uh, just to see kind of what their water usage is like. Yeah. And I asked that same question when I was at uh, 710 labs and they said it was a significant um, over 15% savings compared to some of the other rooms. Right. And and they're a good group to look at it because they're running hydroponics in one room and then living soil in another. Um, and so, yeah, I, I would imagine just how they said it, that we're using less water than, than a competitor that's farming a different way. Um, yeah. just because of the the water retention in our soil beds. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we get into sustainability and, and, you know, return sure. on your investment and, you know, taking care of the mother earth and, and putting things exactly that way forward. And we're on our seventh cycle in our flower room too, right now. And it's like our best cycle yet. It looks like the best cycle yet. And uh, a lot of that has just come from the last several months of doing soil analysis and doing the proper amendments. Um, and so now we're going to be trying to send soil out for like every room, at least once a harvest is to, to send it out for analysis. Like ideally maybe like three weeks before you chop down, send it out. So you know what to amend with for the next round. 
Um, you doing a saturated paste test where you send your water and your soil to at the same time? Uh, so it depends. We send the soil to one lab and then the water, if we're going to do it like a nutrient analysis, goes to another lab. Okay. Um, but we're not actually, so we're mainly sending the soil out for analysis to figure out what we need to top dress with um, and what our, what our mineral contents are and if we need to add in any trace minerals. Um, and so the water has stayed pretty much the same for now. We, we've slightly changed the feed around a little bit, but until we switch to doing tap water and we actually need to really rechange our feed, uh, we don't really need to send out water analysis like every harvest. Good. But the soil analysis is definitely critical. So that's one thing that I want to touch on real quick to bring a, a dose of reality in on people is, you know, there's a time in cultivation and organic cultivation where you get a, a report back from a laboratory that says you're missing a certain trace mineral. You know, for, for me, uh, I got back because, you know, I, I noticed issues. I noticed fading and I'm like, you know, yep. this of, you know, you shouldn't be getting a fade. Maybe that's a nutrient deficiency, but Hey, you're so close to the end. You're going to make it anyways. Who cares? You know, that's just the, the bro science side of things. But, you know, going through that, we find that we're missing minerals, trace minerals, right. you know, 18 different elements that the plant needs. And one of the only ways of adding those, those minerals in there is to use non-organic forms of minerals like sulfates, um, because you've got a, a doctor's recommendation in a certain sense, having that note from that laboratory saying you're missing this and you need this to be considered organic farming. The plants have to have a certain level of iron, magnesium, copper, copper to defend you against mold. You know, all these little things have important needs and and necessities in the soil. And a lot of these guys go back to, oh, well, my microbes are farming those for me, this and that. And it's like, well, you know, you use the soil so heavily and so often, maybe it's right. a chance for those things to build up. So we're going to use totally. science to get rid of the bro science to make sure we can have the best yep. crop possible. And you're taking the weight off of your shoulders and, and being that amazing plant expert and judging a plant and just being able to look at a plant and say, oh my gosh, you need some copper sulfate or you need some nitrogen. Like we're not all going to be able to do that. We have a life, you know, like get rid of the bro science and take the weight off your shoulder. Yep. That, that's my little rant. And that's where I would just want people to realize like in organic farming, you have to use non-organic things, but take in mind, we've got a doctor's recommendation telling us we're missing those items. Right. And what we're really trying to kind of like approach how we talk about our flower is that farming and living soil, we are going to be better than organic. We are better than organic. And and it should be marketed as that because currently with the new OCAL program, and we're not even probably going to try for that because we're going to be up against synthetically organic hydroponic farms that are using synthetic organic in quotes nutrients to, to get their you know, organic certification where we're going five steps ahead and actually farming in living soil. And like we're, like we're farming in a biologically diverse system. And that's where the difference. And I think there's going to be a lot. I think that will come to light. It's going to take time. But, uh, but just even right now, because thankfully, we're in a time of the market where you can't technically market it as organic. It's not certified organic or anything. And so it's marketed as living soil, which unless you're farming in living soil, you're not going to put that on your product. Um, and if you do and you're not doing it, I mean, you'll get called out for sure. And so that's kind of where we really are trying to to move the language is that we are cultivating in living soil and that living soil is better than organic 
Yeah. I have a lot of people that uh, very often ask me, you know, why doesn't grassroots have any organic certifications and this and that? And this, I'm like, you know what? I've toured some facilities that have apparently had that organic certification. And I, I, I don't feel that they absolutely deserve it or they should be. Getting- oh yeah. I mean, you can buy them basically if you have the right nutrients and then you just buy the thing. It's like, you, you know, got it, it's showing you know? up, you know, it's like not that big of a deal yeah. to, you know, have that be your cleaning day the day before and get everything put away. And it's like, uh, just exactly. driving me crazy. It's like, yeah, we don't care about that. Cause they don't really care. So, yeah. And that's where, and, and that's, I mean, also that like the USDA organic has been thrown on so many things now, like so many things you can buy an organic version of it. And I'm sure they are organic. They have to be right. They're certified. But they're not, I mean, who knows what actually is being used to farm that organic product. Yeah. Um, I think you should have a logo with a guy just kick flipping it, uh, skip the skateboard and just being <laughs> approved by the homies. <laughs> <laughs> that would be hilarious. Homie approved, you know, oh, I'd, I'd buy it. Right? <laughs> For real. Um, but yeah, the uh, definitely like when, when we talk about organics, it, it creates a whole narrative that it just needs more education and understanding um, because it definitely, it leads to confusion as to why is one thing organic and you guys are not, but you're saying it's better, you know, so. Yeah, there's a lot to learn from normal farming and normal farmers too. I uh, learned a lot from a guy who was growing peaches his whole life and just got a cannabis farm and, and, or, you know, licensing and was able to do that. And, you know, that guy helped me eliminate mold from my farm by, you know, adding the copper sulfate to my foliar sprays and just little yeah. things like that changed the game. And he's just like, this is basic agriculture, man. It's just another plant as far as the way we treat certain things. So, you know, I, oh, for sure. a lot to learn from those communities. Oh, totally. And that's where, I mean, I mean, what, and also that's just the huge disconnect that we as a society have from legitimate farming and how crops are produced. Um, and then they look at wheat and it's just like, oh, this should just be grown in this magical land with no use of anything. Like it's just going to produce, you know what I mean? That's kind of like that, that. It feels, especially with this, as you mentioned, like, oh, my microbes are just going to do all this for me. Like it's such a nice way to like think and it's easy like oh it just all happens you know what i mean but it yeah exactly like it's it's not that's not real you know and it takes effort to create this system and it's not like we're pulling stuff out of it we have to put stuff back into it it's not just going to replenish itself off of the air um you know so definitely well this was awesome man so i need to ask is there anything here today that we didn't cover that you wanted to cover today um, no, I mean, uh, I mean, we definitely got some good, some good info on living soil out there. Um, I mean, with cannabis in general, just the whole licensed cannabis industry, there's so much to it in terms of the licensing, the construction, the build out, the permits. And that's just, and, and that almost seems like more work to get to the point of being able to farm in living soil and do and use these grassroots pots and all that, because it takes so much effort and so many groups if i mean if you're you're not if you don't have the willpower and the persistence to do it it's so easy to just give up uh because it takes so much time to become licensed and to get established to start to to pheno hunt to to find new strains that aren't out there yet um it just takes so much time and effort and you truly have to love the plant to farm it like on a daily basis yeah um it's, it's definitely, 
it's one, it's an unforgiving plant, but it's very rewarding if it can be done right. But it can take years. I mean, and if your yields fall off for whatever reason, I mean, you can have like the electricity is not getting cheaper just because you're yielding less, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's like, it's crazy. And like, that's where it's just like, we have to like, all, our harvests have to come out fire. You know, we can't afford to just lose a whole room. Um, that would just be detrimental, you know? So it's, it's things like this, where it just takes time to kind of build up, uh, build up the production and get to where you have like a safety net and where you can start to do more research and development and try to come out with new products and do more testing. But uh, it just takes so much time. And I think, I think that just a lot of people, they, they lose sight of that fact of how long it takes to, to create something that will become great. Um, it just takes so much time. And once you get to that point, you have to keep up the effort or else you will just fall off. You know what I mean? Like if we don't keep putting out fire, like, and if we fall off for a year and then we come back, sure. Maybe some people will care like, Oh, cool. No tails back. You know, they got some heat, but it's like, yeah, so many other stuff's going to pop up, but it's not like these people are going to stop smoking weed. They're just going to buy something else, you know? Yeah. So I think an yeah. important thing to say is like, if you're going to go down this path and become that licensed cultivator and take it to the level that you have, you have to ask yourself, can I, also sequester myself away from the plant and away from life for several years because you can't grow a lot of times while you're going through this application building process. And, and if you're, yeah, I have literally seen people just bow out because their, their sanity is around, you know, being with these plants and bringing these plants through their process and pushing these plants through. So, um, you know, you got to ask yourself, can you get through that mental, you know, boot camp in a certain sense? It's going to yeah. be literal boot camp of going through learning tasks you you don't know and mastering things you never wanted to master to be able to get to the point where you're at today. Um, it's amazing. Yeah, it's it's been a huge learning curve and just thought, yeah, the whole licensing process. I mean, everything, it's just, it, it felt like we were running up a mountain and continuously getting kicked down. And then finally we like, were able to throw a rope and slowly pull ourselves up and then like make our way through the licensing. Um, and when we were going through it, it was at a time where it was so new, the city didn't even understand it. Like we, you know, we would go to meetings and it would just be, it, it, there's just so much of a disconnect between what the city was doing, what the state was doing and how long it was actually going to take. No one knew it would take two years to get, a, to like get permitted, then get built out and then get our license. And that was still considered kind of fast for some groups. Um, so, I mean, it's taken, I mean, some groups it's taken three, four years, a lot of times just because of city, city issues, they can't get, they can't get their building power upgrade or they can't get, uh, you know, whatever, who knows whether it's a permit or whatever it is, but I, I it think just takes it's crazy Yo, go ahead or i was just gonna say like yeah for me, i was looking at the local situation two years ago here in sacramento like i was like oh okay i can apply for a license like you know that's crazy and that's gonna be hardcore and then i was like okay my stopping point was i'm probably gonna have to pay for a building for anywhere from six to 18 months i'm gonna have yep. to pay full price for that thing and not be growing anything or even start my build out and i was like okay exactly yeah. i was like yeah no yeah, yeah. exactly and that's and that's the most challenging part of it is just being able to sustain and that, that's what that's what we've kind of figured out is all of these larger groups a lot of them are running losses you know 
And uh, that's because they understand that they just need to outlast the competition because they can't afford to go buy out all of our uh, small operators, but they can just outlast us in terms of the taxes, the fees, the overhead costs of operations for five years. Like they're willing, ready and willing to take a loss for five years just so that they can, you know, gain more market share. Um, but at the same time, you know, it's like these big companies that like we see, we've seen it time and time again. I mean, groups like MedMen that were cold, that had cultivation licenses, they just totally stopped that because they were losing like $70 million a quarter because they, a lot of these groups go so big and they don't understand that you can't just scale farming quality cannabis if you don't know what you're doing. Um, and so we also see it on the reverse side. There's big groups that are trying to outlast, but they end up going under because they just, there's such a lack of understanding on what it takes to farm cannabis at a commercial scale. And we've seen that it's so evident. I mean, a lot of these groups, they come from traditional business and they think they can come do it and they end up selling all their cultivation licenses because they can't do it. They realize, oh, wow, this is, this is ridiculous. It costs us so much money to do this. Um, and so it's crazy. And that's where, I mean, that, that's where the farmers are being taken advantage of too, is that like the shops and the stores are making just as much or oftentimes more than the farmer is getting at the wholesale price. And we have more overhead, you know what I mean? Like we're literally producing the product. And I think the whole industry, the industry as a whole forgets that without the plant, there is literally nothing. There's no oil, there's no edibles, there's no, there's nothing. You can't even talk about it. Like, what are we talking about then? Nothing. There is nothing without the plant. And I think farmers don't get enough credit for everything we have to deal with, the taxes, just the overhead, um, just everything. And then, and the markups that, you know, all the shops are getting. So that's, that's just the challenge too, is just reminding the industry and the customers and, every, and the, mainly the distributors and the brokers that like, hey, you know, if, us farmers as a group are not farming cannabis. There is nothing for any of you other licensees to do anything with. Like there's, you can't do anything, you know what I mean? So like without cultivators, every other license from the chain up is just there, there's nothing to do for them. So, and I think that just becomes forgotten a lot. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Um, my last final question, just because it popped in my head, um, and then I want to go over some of the companies that we've talked about in this show to make sure people can get, get a hold of them and reach out to them if they want to. Um, how do you feel about um, uh, federal legalization of cannabis? And what do you think you've, your view of the time frame in that situation? Yeah, sure. So um, I think it's, well, for one, a couple, couple points on that. Federal legalization must happen. It absolutely needs to happen. Uh, mainly to per, mainly to get us banking and legit banking with any federally backed bank. That's the number one thing. Uh, whether or not, like, so here, here's the, the reason it's very complicated is because what needs to happen is it needs to get removed as a schedule one drug. It needs to be rescheduled. Cannabis has to be rescheduled. Mm-hmm. And when it, if, and when it becomes federally legalized, that's just one step of allowing certain institutions like banks to help us. I have a feeling at that point, it's going to be turned over to the states, just like how it is currently for them to regulate or not allow uh, it, you know what I mean? But a state would have to be incredibly stupid to not allow it because of the amount of tax revenue that is being generated. Um, And so with, so I think federal legalization is gonna happen fairly soon. I think within the next two years, we're gonna see it happen. 
And I just read an article from Justice Clarence Thomas, uh, who's one of the most conservative justices on the Supreme Court. And he wrote, uh, uh, he wrote a statement saying that that federal prohibition of cannabis may be unconstitutional. And so oh. that is, I read that like two days ago. And so that's like huge. That could set up the framework for a federal legalization bill, um, which would be huge. Because I mean, it's like, people understand, like you have to be really stupid to say that, that this is not, that we're not gonna have cannabis around or that it's gonna go away or like, you know what I mean? And so they also realize, I mean, it's, it's just, it's, it's so political and just a joke that cannabis has been illegal for so long when you look at the statistics of, you know, death rates or just abuse versus alcohol and, and cannabis or tobacco and cannabis um, or anything in cannabis, like the we, amount of just problems. I mean, money. And now that you just give them money as form of taxes and now they're okay with it. It's just, yeah, basically. Right. <laughs> and now like uh, congressmen or ex-Congress people are on the boards of cannabis companies. Like it's, it's just kind of a whole game that if you look at it, looking at it on the outside, it, it looks crazy. And from someone that's in it, like hardcore on the day-to-day -day on the inside, I mean, it, it just becomes like, it just becomes like a joke that we have to deal with the, the bureaucracy that we have to deal with and the no banking or being charged a thousand, two thousand a buck, $2,000 a month just to have a bank. And then they take more money every time. It's just, I mean, it's a racket right now. And it's, it's crazy how the laws work and how slow things go. Cause this happens in every single state, like in New York, that just happened, for example, cannabis, cannabis became legalized, right? On like the last, the last ballot. And that's great right now. Cool. You can smoke weed. You're not going to get arrested or a ticket, but like you can't produce the flower or distribute it. That's still illegal. They don't have licenses for it yet because those things take time. And so every single part of this industry takes so much time. So here in California, we're already ahead, right? We're licensed, we're operating, but we don't have like legal banking or federal banking that we can use that's backed by something. And so it's all of these different things that are, that are just hindering the expansion or even loans. Like yeah. it's so hard to get a loan. And even anybody that's going to try to do a, a social equity project where the, the city's going to help pay for some of their their fees and stuff like you couldn't even get a loan to try to build the place out so how could that even work um and so there's all of these little things that that the the bureaucracies in the states take a lot of time to establish and create new regulations for such as the the banking or just i mean licensing cultivators like in new york it's going to take a couple of years probably to get licensed retail shops licensed cultivators and to actually start producing licensed flour so in the from now in two years, it's just going to be all these illegal grows still popping up. You know what I mean? Like it's that whole, it just takes so long uh, for these things to go through because we're living in a crazy time. It's like, it's, it's like taking something that was illegal, but not bad and then making it legal, but not really legalizing yet the production of it. It's just the whole chain of it takes so much time and it, and, and it really is just done poorly. It's pretty disappointing at times. Definitely. Yeah, for sure. And so, but on a, on a good note and a happy note, we're doing it. We're here. We're, uh, we're trying to fight for small farmers like us. Um, and we're trying to help advise on just the regulations because they're so, some of them are very just not, not working. They're just, they made them. We've tried them for a couple of years and there's clearly issues. Um, so yeah, yeah I mean, the farmers, man, they got to listen to them and it's, they got to. 
it's a pathway. And I saw it, um, you know, talking to Steve Cantwell and Green Life Productions in Nevada years ago, you know, and how he would build out a facility five years ago to how the regulations he has now. It's like, he's like, I, it's like 40% cheaper and less, just way less issues, you know, and easier to do it. Yep, yep. Regulations because they're more used to it. So, you know, I hope five totally. years from now, it's a lot easier and a lot, lot better process. And they lean on you farmers for, you know, it should be once uh once we get federal federal legalization and we can use federally backed banks those banks are going to be ready to loan out money because they're going to see our books and see our sheets and be like whoa like let's build four more facilities and we'll be like oh we can't scale like that you know but like and they're like a lot of these i mean yeah yeah exactly they'll be like we'll loan like they'll be throwing money at cannabis companies once they can yeah um and that's, and that's just the crazy part of it is like, and that's where there becomes such a disconnect of like groups that are operating and it's, and it's just so hard to get established and we're grinding every day uh, to hopefully become established. And so, you know, it's just tough. It's just tough. It takes a lot of hard work, dedication, and uh, you truly have to love the plant to put out a quality product. Great. Great. Um, is there anybody you can think of off the top of your head that would be a good guest for us to have on the, the podcast here? Um, have you guys had Organics Alive on? No, I haven't. That's a great idea. They would be good probably because they do. A, they give a really phenomenal explanation of how they actually produce the the products that they're producing yeah, um, and how they use bacteria. Like yeah, and the fermentation pro- process of the bacteria and like the vacuoles that are coming out. So they give a really good explanation of how that becomes bioavailable as well. Um, I, they would probably be a good group. Um, I don't know if you've had, have you had Crescent Soil on? Yep. He was like podcast Scott? number yeah. one. Okay. Most listened to podcast. Sick. Okay. Nice. 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 Well, yeah, they're always solid, super knowledgeable. Um, have you had Jeremy from Build the Soil on? No, I haven't had Jeremy. He would be good. He's a cool dude. I like Jeremy. Um, He's definitely got knowledge and they're running and they got now the new build the soil family farm. So they definitely got new like knowledge on like, on just like, like small, small to larger scale, like greenhouse farming of food. Um, yeah, I think he would be a good, he would be definitely be a good guest and they got, they, they got great products as well. Um, they do, they do. Yeah, he'd be a good guest. Yeah. Um, other than that, I mean, I don't, I don't really know. I mean, I'm sure there's other groups that are doing living soil that would love to talk about it. Um, I don't, I really don't know many other ones that are like licensed commercial California cannabis farmers. Very few. Yeah, there's definitely very few, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Probably maybe some of those guys I listed. Uh, Todd, I think they have a a cultivation facility as well with uh, Organics Alive, Todd Siami, um, if I pronounce it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, they're they're down in I think like San Diego or East County or East uh, like Riverside area, maybe. Yeah. Or maybe just in like North San Diego. Um, but yeah, the, I I think I heard they might be doing a grow. Um, but yeah, they they would definitely be solid. They got some good info, and Organics Alive is a, it's a really cool product. Uh, we definitely like what they're putting out. Yeah, they've got some amazing stuff, definitely. Um, and uh, so- the guys from Soil Symbiotics, we get a few like the the Keystone. Like we get a few products from them and they're, they're definitely doing stuff with big, like organic agriculture. Um, so yeah, they're, they definitely got, got some good products. 
I'm going to have to check them out. I haven't had very much exposure. Yeah, they're mainly for like big commercial ag. Like we usually buy most of our stuff from Crescive that they get from them because they're selling like, you know, like 300 gallon totes of everything or like a, or like a, a 50 pound bag of whatever you need. Nice. Um, so, so just to go over some of the, the companies we've covered here today, obviously we've talked a lot about Organics Alive um, out of California. So go hit them up on Instagram. Uh, you should definitely be following No Till Kings on Instagram. Um, I love watching the skateboarding stuff and the people that you guys sponsor and help out. And hey, if you're down in Long Beach and you're you're skateboarding, you should see somebody down there probably with one of those shirts on. If not, you should you should tell Hell them. Hell yeah. To do it. Um, Crescive Soil Services. Um, I always pronounce this one wrong, so I've got their Instagram page up here. Uh, C-R-E-S-C-I-V-E, Soil Services. Uh, so you can look them up. I have believe they have a website, um, and you can hit them up in multiple different directions. Um, you guys have next-gen rolling benches um, in there uh, with the grassroots. You do, yeah, next-gen. You have uh, grassroots uh, living soil liners. Any other companies that we should shout out that are important? Um, we, we use Method 7 glasses pretty much every day. All our staff are wearing Method 7 glasses in the grow room. Uh, Got to protect your eyes. Um, OG glasses, by the way, people. Those are the original grower's glasses. Yep, that's the truth. Uh, don't grow blind, as they say. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, that's uh, those guys that we got uh we work with green coast hydroponics down here they're they're a pretty cool shop they're now expanding they're getting more stores uh we like green coast they're they're really solid um and they're based out of Long Beach, i believe so that's a, yeah, yeah yeah they uh they're they're mainly yeah like they expanded from socal and now they're starting to move up the coast and they have one in vegas i think um but yeah green coast is super solid and you know build the soil build the soil is awesome that's where we got our soil uh, you know, I just all our equipment. You know, right now we're running and in dehumidifiers, they're solid. We got Gavitas, and then we also got some Porta Lux lights. Um, and we're testing some of the Lux stuff out, so we'll be testing new, new, their newer LEDs soon. Um, and yeah, I mean, awesome. pretty much that I'd say. Shout out to our team, you know, all of our employees, they know who they are, they're solid. We're getting it done. It's a, it takes a, it's a true team effort. It takes a lot of effort to farm cannabis and then to dry it, trim it, cure it, package it, get it out to the distributor, get it tested, do the sales at the shops. Man, I hope you get to live so, life after that, man. That's a long, that's, that's a long the plan, day. right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. After all that gets handled. Yeah, after that. Well, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate the time out of your day here and, and being able to carve that out because I know you had to make time for this. You don't just have time laying around, man. So I work a lot. It's true. But yeah, no, I appreciate it. I'm glad I could get on here to uh, get, get some knowledge out, talk some living soil. And, uh, and yeah, you know, we're constantly learning and evolving. We're definitely not experts in this. We're always learning and uh, always improving through analysis, through testing, through amendments um and just really you know observing the plant that's the best way is to see is the plant telling you it's happy or not and i think the biggest um, lesson over this this uh podcast is patience 
of having the patience with your, your local municipalities and, and, you know, you should probably be leaning on Jake a little bit if you're going through that process and you're anywhere within that year to two year to five year process and having issues. And he'd probably love to answer some of your questions for you or point you guys in the right direction. For sure. It takes a lot of persistence, a lot of patience, and you just got to have the vision of what you're trying to do and don't let the city or state or whatever it is that's, that's hindering you, you know, let you down. If you, if you, if you have the, the path and you, you can do it and you're willing to put the time in, anyone can do it. It's just incredibly challenging. It takes a lot of effort and you got to sacrifice a lot. You know, I, I, you just have to sacrifice your time and effort and energy and be willing to put in the work. Amen. You said it brother. Well, thank you very much. I think we're going to go ahead and end this one right here. Um, episode eight awesome. of Grassroots Living Soil podcast. Uh, this will be up live probably this Thursday. And um, always, you know, give us a, a like, a comment. Let us know anybody else we should have on there. And thank you so much, man. I appreciate it. 100%. Once again, guys, I'm Jake. I'm a co-owner of No-Till Kings. I run all of our operations and our head of cultivation uh, and pretty much everything. If it, something's got to get fixed, I'll be there doing it. Awesome. Well, signing off, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Take care, guys. Okay, cool. So I'm going to stop the...